Johnny Manziel has been in the news this week. He appeared on Good Morning America and also Barstool's Pardon My Take podcast. Manziel wants to play football again, but first he's trying to make a little money by selling comeback season gear. Season, of course, spelled S-Z-N. And also talking about how he's recently found out he's bipolar and is taking medication. Whatever. Good luck to Manziel. I thought he would be an effective quarterback in the NFL, and I ended up being dead wrong on that thought. Now, I bring up Manziel because inevitably the former Heisman winner was asked about another Heisman winner, Baker Mayfield. Manziel said on Pardon My Take that he and Mayfield have a really cool friendship, but the comparisons between the two should stop there. First off, I had no clue Mayfield and Manziel were friends, but I guess it, I guess it does make sense. Mayfield is a social guy, so is Manziel, and they're both part of the Heisman fraternity. Secondly, Manziel had a bunch of positive things to say about Baker, adding that he has, quote, all the faith in the world in Baker Mayfield. Good. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what Johnny Manziel says about Baker Mayfield because, like we've been saying for months on this show, the two guys are not really all that comparable when it comes to their football talents. Manziel was fantastic at Texas A&M, but upon further review, a lot of his magic was, well, straight up magic. He made a lot of plays, no doubt, but Manziel was way too reliant on his legs, which meant that when things started to break down around him, way more than not, his first thought was to pull the ball down and run. Did you know that back in 2012, Manziel's first year as a starter and also his Heisman Trophy year, he easily led the Aggies in rushing? more than 1,400 yards. That's more rushing yards in one season than Mayfield had in his entire college career, and that even includes his time at Texas Tech. Everyone who's watched Mayfield play for three years at Oklahoma knows that Mayfield isn't overly reliant on his legs and his mobility. Sure, he's a guy who can extend a play. That's one of his strengths. But Mayfield is always looking, to looking down the field to make a play within the design of the play. Mayfield is a much more cerebral player than Manziel. When the pocket gets muddy, his fight-or-flight instincts don't kick in telling him to run. Nope. Running is the last resort for Mayfield, and it shows. I've had all these thoughts on Baker Mayfield, like I said, for months now. But recently, I just read an awesome article on Pro Football Focus that laid out all of my thoughts a lot more precisely than I've ever been able to. We'll share some of the lines from that article today on this episode of West of Everest. So before we begin, the main point I want to drive home is those who are comparing Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel, just stop. It's lazy, and you look football illiterate. Luckily, we'll help you understand on this show, so stay tuned. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. And this is the part where usually we have an intro but we have to cancel the intro today because last week I spilled coffee all over my computer, which put it out of commission. That also meant that all of the West of Everest intro audio files have been rendered unusable at this time. That's until I get all the data extracted from the hard drive. So obviously, an unmitigated technological disaster at West of Everest. And it's all my fault. I was a klutz. I dropped my coffee. So we're going to have to just power through today. Grant will join us here in a moment. We're going to talk about that Baker Mayfield article from Pro Football Focused. It's one of the best write-ups on Mayfield that I've seen. With signing day in the books, we'll also discuss the Sooners 2018 class. OU got a couple big signatures last Wednesday. Plus, we'll talk a little OU basketball. And we'll talk about uh, Oklahoma's football starting lineup in 2018. Even though it's February, why not have a way too early look ahead for that? But before we get to all of that, I want to remind you that West of Everest is now on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook and you like the show, help us out a bit and search for us on Facebook and give us a like. You may have watched my opening take today live. Grant had his opening take last week live. We've been doing it for the past few weeks, going well. So if you want to see Grant and I do the opening take live from our homes, the, the, the West of Everest satellite studios, if you will, be sure to like the Facebook page, jump on, watch us live. Feel free to ask any questions. Give us some comments in the uh, comment section. Also, if you have any ideas, feel free. All right, let's bring in Grant to talk some Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel. Grant, what's going on today? Nothing much, Lee, but I mean, nothing really gets me fired up more than this topic. So I'm glad that uh, we're, it's been, it's been about a month now since I think the college football season ended and 
I'm already, I'm missing it, Lee, already, and we might as well just jump right in and talk about football because, I mean, this is a football podcast. We might as well do it, so I'm pumped. So uh, Sam Monson over at Pro Football Focus put out an article on Baker Mayfield Monday, and the title was Baker Mayfield's Tape Numbers. Uh, Baker Mayfield's Tape and Numbers Say He Should Be Number One Overall. Should be the number one overall pick. Man, I, I botched that. I botched that bad. Basically, the headline is that Baker Mayfield's really, really good and should be the number one overall pick. How about that? In the article, Monson says, Pro Football Focus has been grading college quarterbacks since 2014, and quote, from what we have seen on the field, Oklahoma's Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in this draft class, and it isn't particularly close to the second guy, end quote. Now, Monson follows that statement with tons of stats to back up that point. Mayfield's 2016 and 2017 seasons are the two best-graded seasons by a quarterback since 2014 when they began measuring. Mayfield's NFL passer rating when he has a clean pocket is, quote, head and shoulders above everybody else in this draft class, end quote. So, Grant, I already know that you agree with all of this stuff, but when you read the article, were you like me and thinking that, man, It's great to see all of these points about Baker Mayfield that we've made since September all kind of condensed into one piece with all the stats to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a good piece. I really recommend everyone uh, go online at profootballfocus.com to take a look at it. It's a quick read, maybe take about five minutes. Uh, It's just it kind of just confirms everything that we already knew, to be honest with you. Um, Lee, one thing that you didn't mention in your little write up there, my favorite part uh, by far of the piece was they uh, there's there's a there's a spot where they break down all of the NFL throws that he made over the course of the season. Um, so they actually went through and charted all of his NFL type throws. Uh, they did they came to conclude that he uh, attempted the eighth most NFL throws over the course of the season, I believe it was, and he by far had the highest passer rating on, on, on NFL throws. So that was my favorite. We've been saying all year that he's, you know, he's throwing NFL throws all the time, and so I think that was one of the biggest knocks on people who, frankly, have never seen him play a full game. I, I can only conclude from people who would say that, uh, but that was nice to see. I do have some other thoughts kind of on the article, Lee, but uh, before I get into those, I, I they're, they're a little, they're going to kind of rain on your parade a little bit on this, uh, just because there, I did have some issues with the article, but before I get into that, is there anything that, that really stood out to you more? The uh, Towards the very beginning, when he's talking about how good Mayfield is in the pocket, and then also how good Mayfield is under pressure, I thought that was quite interesting, uh, because the article qualifies and says, yeah, obviously you expect quarterbacks with a clean pocket to be incredibly good because there's not a whole lot going on and they can sit in there and make throws. And in the article, it says that his NFL passer rating when he's kept in a clean pocket was 143.8 in 2017. And that number, I mean, obviously it's ridiculous and it's, it's more than 20 points higher than any of the other potential top quarterbacks. That includes Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, just to name off Mason Rudolph off the top of my head. Uh, and, and, Furthermore, though, again, like I said, the article acknowledges that, yeah, a clean pocket, it's a lot easier to make throws, sure. But then it goes on to talk about how under pressure, Mayfield was also fantastic. His passer rating, 111.6 last year. And I'm, I'm reading from the article. It says, Mayfield was one of uh, only, was, he was only one of those top prospects to have a rating higher than 100 when pressured. And that rating of 111.6 is actually a higher number than four of the other top six quarterbacks when kept clean in the pocket. <laughs> so Mayfield was even was better than four of the top six guys under pressure than those guys were with a clean pocket. So it just shows you how good and productive he is, whether it be a clean pocket or under pressure. It's all these things that we saw all year and for the last three years with Baker Mayfield. But it was just kind of neat to see the grading and the numbers by Pro Football Focus ha- uh, showing that it it actually it's not just like our eyeballs playing tricks on us he really was that good so that part of it really stood out to me in the article now what were the now you said you want to rain on my parade what does that mean well it's not necessarily raining on your parade in the sense that i think you're you're dumb for putting a lot of stock into this article it's i I don't think that at all Uh, i'm more along here's my one issue and it's it's more of a critique of the entire article which is well done i mean they it's uh, everything is is sourced. It's back up. There's with with stats to you know to prove any point or anything like that. The one thing I have an issue with though is that 
all it does all all it does is con- is is confirm things that we already knew, Lee. Which is if you watch Baker Mayfield play on Saturdays, he is a, he is a whole hell of a lot better than everyone else. We already knew that. Um, unfortunately, that is not always a surefire way to judge NFL players. It never is. Um, because let's be let's be completely honest. It, it you know when we're talking about the quarterbacks in the NFL, you know in the NFL especially lately, it's a crapshoot. I mean, I have no idea. You know, Tim Tebow was a spectacular college player, too. He was better than everyone else also. So was Johnny Manziel, and both those guys couldn't play a lick in the league. So, um, you know, I, I think I think obviously Baker's got a lot of things going for him. But at this point, I just think we're in a wait-and-see mode. We have absolutely no idea uh, where he's going to go in the draft, which is going to be a big deal. You know, I mean, if he if he ends up in Cleveland, is, anyone gonna, is everyone going to be super, you know, confident that he's going to turn out to be a, a really good NFL quarterback? I certainly won't. Um, so there's just so many variables that go into it. Um, and, and I think he has the tools to succeed, and I think that he's, he's put on tape that he's capable of making a lot of these high-level throws that you have to do um, in the NFL. But there's just so many variables involved with it, and, and I think it's really going to come down to one who drafts him, um, and two just the people he has around him. Um, so, I, I it totally depends on where he gets drafted. I, I mean, for instance, I could see him going to New Orleans and having an incredibly successful ten year career and being a Super Bowl champion, or I could see him go to Cleveland and and just have a, a mediocre NFL career. So that, that's that that that's just kind of my overarching issue with that's not even necessarily an issue it's more of just a a a pump the brake statement well that's i mean the whole entire article is is basing it off of what he put on film in college and and one of the very first paragraphs acknowledges that just because the guy's great in college doesn't mean that he's going to be a good nfl player so i don't your point there was basically like oh looking towards the future which like yeah i mean we all have those concerns when went towards the future but this entire article was strictly on what we've seen on tape of him in college so not that you were really criticizing it but that's kind of a bizarre thing to bring up because I feel like you really you weren't really discussing the the article you were just kind of looking towards the future which of course depending on where he goes if he goes to Cleveland I'm with you it's it's not uh it's not the place that (laughs) <laughs> that levies a lot of uh, confidence in me. Okay, well, yeah, perhaps maybe that was just the wrong um, example to put to put there. I, I guess I'm just we we already knew. I mean, anyone who's watched college football the last three years know knows how special Baker Mayfield is. Um, and so I, I I assume that NFL scouts watch tape and they've been watching tape on him. I'd assume since since we since he was at Texas Tech, I, they've probably looked at all of it. Um, and so why is he still not the consensus number one guy? Um, so there's just there's other things that go into it, and it's not just your college tape. So I, I think you know we've obviously every us and everyone listening to this has seen him play a lot, and we like everything that that Sam Monson is saying in this article. We already know he's just putting numbers with it now. Um, so yeah, we 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 know Baker has 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 been the but we think he's been the best in in college football the last three years. We think he was better than Deshaun Watson. So you know it's. I guess to me it's just not surprising. I'm just I'm just not going to put a lot of stock in it because I think there's people in the NFL who are paid lots of money to have opinions on this, and I don't. I, I it's not really a slam dunk that he's the number one overall pick, and I'm just saying that there's obviously stuff that NFL scouts value more. Um, so, and, and yeah, and, and you and you and you know you're right. The, the the article does say that it specifically says in the in the headline it says his tape and the numbers say he should be the number one overall pick. It's not saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, so, so in that respect, I get it. Um, I, I guess this is just a very roundabout way of saying that NFL evaluators clearly value different or more, uh, more things than just the tape and the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And if we're gonna, and I just thought of this as we're talking, if if we're gonna have one criticism on the article, and it, it again, this article is one of my. It's great. It lays out all the things that I've kind of been saying about Man, uh, not Manziel, uh, Mayfield. I kind of wish he would have provided the numbers for the other guys. I wish he would have provided Darnold's numbers and, and Josh Rosen's numbers and Mason Rudolph's numbers to really see because uh, I think there's some links to other stuff that maybe I, I didn't click on that I guess maybe would show these numbers uh, within the article. But I think it would have been nice to see some of the other players. And, and what's also disappointing is that Pro Football Focus has only been measuring since 2014. Not a big sample size. It'd be great to, to be able to go back to – to Johnny Manziel, for instance, to see what his pro football focus grade looked looked like, and we could maybe compare the two more, you know, their college tape. Uh, just bare bones thoughts on the two players. I went back and watched a lot a lot of highlights from Manziel today, just to kind of refresh my memory on him. 
And it was part of the opening take about how his his rushing numbers, his first year, he, he ran for over 1,400 yards. And I always remembered him being, you know, a guy that scrambled a lot. But for whatever reason, I kind of always had in my head that Manziel scrambled a lot, but then also threw the ball a lot while scrambling. But, man, he, he really brought it down and ran a heck of a lot and, like, way more than Mayfield ever did. And even his second year where he didn't run as much, he still ran for, I think, about 800 yards. So uh, it's not like Manziel really – pulled it down as his next season starting and only you know rushed for three four hundred yards he still ran for like 800 yards or 750 yards the second year so he was a run first guy which I think is a, is a huge difference between Manziel and Mayfield that I think is important to point out if for those who still want to compare the two quarterbacks yeah Baker ran a lot more his first year uh, with OU in, in 2015 uh, and then after that it definitely slowed down a little bit I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know I, I guess it's been a while since I've looked but i I'm pretty sure 2015 was, you know, the year he rushed for the most yards. I would also assume it's probably his most rushing attempt. So, Lee, I do have those numbers for you, just to throw them out there real quick. Um, you were you wanted uh, to compare with the other guys. Here are the uh, 2018 NFL Draft, the top prospects. Here are their passer ratings when kept clean from the pocket from Pro Football Focus College. Lee Baker Mayfield was at the top of that list, as they said, 143.8 passer rating. Uh, number two on that list Lee, is Mason Rudolph, Oklahoma State, 119.9 passer rating when kept clean from the pocket. Number two on that list Lee, is Josh Rosen at UCLA, 108.1. Number three. Number three, yes. Uh, number, let's see here, number four on that list is Sam Darnold at 103.8. Uh, and then Josh Allen at 102.6, and then in sixth place on that list is Lamar Jackson at 100.7. And then once again, I'll just really quickly go down to hear their passer ratings when they are under pressure. Again, Mayfield by a long shot at 111.6. Second, uh, Mason Rudolph again, 97.2. Third this time is Darnold and not Rosen at 74.4. Rosen is fifth at 69.1. I'm sorry, uh, fourth at... 69.1 69.1 you know what Lee did I I totally did I did I mention Lamar Jackson uh in the first one you did okay you said he was like sixth with the clean pocket yeah sorry Lamar Jackson was third under pressure at 90 a quarterback rating of 90.6 and then Darnold at 74.4 and then Rosen at 69.1 uh then Josh Allen at 58.5 so I guess just to put a bow on all of this Lee I, I think I finally you know I finally found a, a better way to uh to convey my thoughts here, which is basically this. So it's, I, th- I think it's, so the article says that, you know, based off the tape and the numbers that, that Mayfield is a slam dunk pick. And, you know, based off of those metrics, I obviously agree. My underlying point is that clearly though, and I'm saying clearly because, you know, depending on who you ask, Baker Mayfield typically is, is going to, you know, consensusly slot in number three in this draft class behind Darnold and, and Josh Rosen. Uh, they, they, NFL scouts clearly do not value tape and stats as much as they do physical makeup. And I think that's clearly, uh, that's been the trend going forward. And I, I, and it's been, you know, that's how the NFL has operated for years and years and years. So I, that was my point. We'll see if that's true though, because I'm starting to hear rumblings that, that he's really jumping up boards and like, we'll see more when the combine comes. And my under, uh, and my underlying point there is because if, Anyone who's watched college football the last three years, uh, it Baker Mayfield is is clearly a has been a was a better player in college than than Rosen and, and Darnold. And so when I say it's 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 very clear that that the NFL really does value measurables a lot more. It's it's clear in this draft class, especially if you put Darnold and Rosen above Mayfield, because Mayfield was was just. Uh, it's it's hard to even describe how much of a better college player he was than both of those guys. I, it's not even remotely close, and, and not even in the same ballpark in terms of quality. Okay, let's move on to the recruiting trail. And on last week's show, Grant went over some of the guys that OU may be able to pull on signing day, which of course was February the 7th, last Wednesday. Now, we recorded the show a day before signing day. You all may remember that. So, of course, we didn't know for sure what the Sooners class looked like. Well, now we know OU signed three guys on Wednesday, including a big-time defensive tackle. And, Grant, you're here to tell us who the Sooners got on signing day, part two, return of signing day is what I'm calling it. Lee basically nailed everything that we that we predicted the day before signing day. Not that it, that was particularly hard to do, uh, but just to recap really quick, um, 
Uh, everything we did talk about last week came to fruition. The one thing that I did miss was a player that the Sooners didn't even get. That was Tank Jenkins. I said he would sign with Ole Miss. He ended up going to Texas A&M, but that doesn't matter. The three guys that, that the Sooners signed Lee were, uh, were Bookie Radley Hiles, who had committed over a month ago, um, and also they got uh, – who, who was the other one that signed Lee? Did they sign – um, of course, so now this is my spot, and I can't even remember who that was now. But anyway, Buki signed, and then it was also Braden Willis, who I mistakenly omitted last week from uh, from the other guys. And then also the big sign Lee was Michael Thompson, the defensive tackle from St. Louis. Uh, that had started to trend OU the last couple of weeks. Um, I think there were some there was kind of some concern early on in the recruiting process that maybe this guy wouldn't qualify. I, I'm I'm hearing that those concerns have been kind of uh, tempered a little bit, so they think he's going to qualify. Lee Michael Thompson, this guy, he, he's he has the looks of of a difference maker. He's a big guy. He's long. Uh, he's he's powerful. He's a guy that uh, that you really need to pan out if you're if you're going to start consistently competing for national championships, especially on the defensive line. Now we we've talked countless times about how just how important it is to get those big hosses on the uh, on the defensive line and and a guy like Michael Thompson is really going to help with that puts a really nice capper on on what is Oklahoma's best defensive line class and in, in, in over a decade easily so uh, four really really solid blue chip uh, defensive linemen that the Sooners have signed in this class and, and I think that's something that Sooner fans should should honestly be really excited about that's what I'm most excited about um, in this class Lee is 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 uh, the defensive line as a whole well uh michael thompson too I, I found it interesting that originally oklahoma was recruiting him as an offensive lineman not a defensive tackle and uh as time went on they kind of realized that hey we'd, we'd rather have this guy at, at d tackle than offensive line i guess i mean he was he was a, a two-way player in st louis for his high school so kind of interesting they thought of uh, thought him as an offensive player at first but then moved him to d tackle big dude i'd much rather see him on the defensive line uh hopefully being one of those gigantic run stuffers that oklahoma really really needs um let's see uh, as far as you know if, if if there are people out there grant that don't know much about recruiting and honestly i before the last year or two i didn't know a whole lot about it i've you know part of my job is is following these these classes and these players so i, I know a little bit more about this class and the previous class than maybe i would have otherwise but for those who don't pay attention to recruiting and are just diving in, but want to learn more about the future of Oklahoma football. Who who were the guys that that were like, man, these are big time signees? Who were the guys that from this 2018 class are like, okay, these guys could be big stars, or who are currently big stars? Okay, so from from the recruiting services, the the two biggest gets in this class were uh, the aforementioned Bookie Radley Hiles. He is the number two cornerback in the country. He is a five star recruit. Uh, he's a top twenty recruit in the country. He is the uh, I would say he's 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 the crown jewel of this class, and he was a late addition too. Um, other than that, uh, the recruiting services. The other one would be Bray Walker. Uh, he's the big offensive tackle. I believe he was the first member of this 2018 class a couple years ago. He stayed committed for a couple years. Uh, he's a guy who who looks to have all the physical tools. It's for him. It's going to be about you know once he gets in, he can can beat and bow coach him up and and can he put forth the effort to be better he certainly has the makeup to do so uh i'm he, he's a guy who excites me but also i am a little uh I, I don't know i i'm i'm a little apprehensive about just because i you know the last couple of years there have been rumblings about you know effort level and, and work ethic and and whatnot so uh lee i, I do just i i'm gonna do a quick breakdown of just who i want uh, i'm gonna go who are who are gonna be the biggest stars in this class who i think may disappoint in this class um and then a, a couple of guys who who are under the radar uh, who i think are, are actually going to be you know pretty good college players for ou so lee um i, I already mentioned buki radley hiles uh, i think he is going to be a huge star I, I fully expect him at some point in time in the upcoming season to uh, to be a starter on the defensive side of the ball whether or not that's as a corner or whether or not that's um uh, whether or not that's as a nickelback, I'm not sure. I, I I think he's he's too good to keep him off the field, and I just I don't know if they're going to be able to keep him off the field. Lee, uh, the other guy who I think is actually going to be the biggest star of this class is Jalen Redmond, the Oklahoma uh, high school product. He is a guy who just has uh, freak athlete. Uh, kind of late bloomer written all over him. I know he's only played he's only played football for a handful of years, maybe only a couple of years. Um, he, just the the measurables jump off the page at you, and I think he's going to be the perfect guy to just uh, to unleash and, and rush the passer. That was a great signing for OU. Um, I, I I think he's a guy who you know once 
once this class has been on campus for two or three years, he's going to be the guy you look back on and, and you think to yourself, how is this guy not a five-star recruit? I, I think he's going to be that good. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll transition to the guys who I think are going to be under the radar good. Um, just a couple of the guys that not a lot of people really talk about. I'll start with Patrick Fields, uh, the, the safety from Tulsa Union. I like Patrick Fields because he is he, he's demonstrably just a really sharp guy, um, and I think that's exactly what you need from the safety position. He's also a good football player. I, I, I've I, I have watched tape on all of these guys, and I you know I, I've said in previous podcasts that I'm not uh, an expert on breaking down high school tape, but he, Patrick Fields is a guy who I know is is a smart guy, over a 4.0 GPA in all of high school, never got a B throughout high school, um, so he's a sharp guy, and he's he's you know I. I, I want intelligence like that on the back end, especially at safety. And another guy, Lee, that I really like, and I, I think the only reason why he was uh, he, he was he was lowly uh, rated from recruiting services just because of his size. But this guy, I mean, just if you watch his tape, he is so good at football. Um, and that is uh, opposite safety of Patrick Fields, Delarian Turner Yell. I I love watching the tape on this guy and he he's he is small he's he is legit 5'8 160 probably he's like it's it's almost like Marquise Brown going in there and playing safety maybe a little bigger than that but um Lee this is a guy who when I watch him on his high school tape this is a guy I see dominating high school opponents and that's exactly what I want to see he he overwhelms people with his athleticism obviously not with his size but his athleticism and that's what I see he reminds me of Major Wright uh, the old safety from Florida And, and I think um, it, I, I think he's a guy who's probably going to need a year to, to put some weight on. He'll, so he's a guy who's probably going to redshirt his freshman year. But uh, look out for this guy as, as maybe a special teams all-star um, in the coming years until he gets you know up as an upperclassman and is maybe able to compete for, for a starting job in the secondary. Lee, I'm going I'm to mention one guy I think may disappoint in this class, and it's a guy, and of course, ironically, it's the guy who I forgot to mention, of course, uh, uh, five minutes ago, and that would be Deshaun White. Um, I... I only I only forgot to mention him just because Deshaun White was was assumed you know a member of this recruiting class for such a long time that I you know uh, it just kind of slips in my mind when I was talking about guys who signed last week. Uh, Lee Deshaun White's a guy who uh, the Big Twelve teams were just were in a recruiting battle over because uh, he's he's kind of your prototypical Big Twelve linebacker, whereas he's he's long, he's lengthy, and he's fast, and he's 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 a little lighter. Um, I, and I, I I agree with that. I think he he has the physical makeup to be a, a very successful linebacker in the Big Twelve. Um, I just his 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 tape that I watch just it he just looks like he, he just looks like a good football player out there playing against uh, the, the Texas high school talent. He doesn't look he, he doesn't look overwhelmingly dominant. The the type that I like to see from those high school players. I saw that out of Delarian Turner Yell's uh, tape. I see that out of Bookie Radley Hiles tape. I see that out of Jalen Redmond's tape. I didn't really see it out of Sean White. I just saw a really solid high school player um, who has a good frame. And I, I may be totally wrong about this. You know, he may come into OU and, and, and be completely dominant. But but he's he's a guy just on tape. I didn't see him as a dominant player. I saw him more as just kind of a complimentary uh, player. Don't make any any great plays. Just all of the all of the decent ones. So Lee, that's my breakdown. Uh, of course, we're we're not going to know you know everything for sure until these all these guys are on campus and we see them in pads and, and whatnot. But um, this is absolutely a, a very good recruiting class. Um, I, you got some numbers on the recruiting class, Lee? Yeah, so twenty two players in the class. Rivals ranked OU's class tied for eighth with Clemson. Twenty four seven Sports had Oklahoma's class at ninth, and ESPN had OU's class as tenth. So a consensus top ten class for OU. And you kind of went over a lot of the guys there. I'll just kind of give you some quick notes on who I'm most excited for, just to see. Uh, one is Buki Radley House, as you mentioned, uh, just because a five star corner. And if you've listened to this podcast since the beginning, you know how much I, I like to talk about defensive backs. I love good defensive back play. I'm curious to see what this guy looks like in the defensive backfield, especially at cornerback, one of my favorite positions, the position on the field that I feel like I know the most about. So I'm interested to watch him play and how he develops. I'm also curious to see uh, how Jalen Redmond and also Ron Tatum, two big Oklahoma metro area, Oklahoma City kind of guys, fair and you mentioned you're really high on Jalen Redmond so am I Ron Tatum is is even bigger than Jalen Redmond he's listed at 6'5 270 and he is a big hoss both players were defensive ends 
and it's one of those things where their bodies are are just massive. They're they're freaky guys, and you just hope that even going into college, they're they're going to put on even more muscle and turn out to be really exciting players. So I'm I'm really excited for those two players to see how they they turn out. Um, and and also to just other just more defensive backs. Uh, Starlin Brown, one of them, a D back from Cypress, Texas. Starlin Baldwin. Star Baldwin. Baldwin. <laughs> what did I say? Brown. Starlin Baldwin. I was looking right at his name. And then uh, Miguel Edwards is uh, a six foot D back from Florida. And then finally, I'm I'm curious to see how Jaqueline Crawford fits in on this team from Rockdale. And uh, just because I I've seen Crawford play, I saw him play in high school. He's he's a really fast, somewhat undersized player. He's listed at five foot ten, but I I would be surprised if he's if he's more like five eight, five nine. Uh, kind of, I guess, in a in the mold now of like a Marquise Brown, like short but really fast. And uh, I'm just curious to see how he fits in. I don't know how much playing time he'll get right away, if any. Lee, but, when I uh, sorry to yeah. cut you off, when I watched when I watched I watched like a little eight minute highlight uh, clip of him. He reminds me of Deron Neal uh, from a few years ago. Uh, he he he's that that's who I would compare him the most with. Um, so you know, okay. t- take that or leave it. I just wanted to you know for. For Sooner fans, I just wanted to throw a name out there just as, as a comparison. So, yeah, those are the players that I'm, I guess, excited about just to kind of follow their progress a little more closely. Of course, everybody else will be, will be looking at closely as, as time goes on. The next thing I want to do is is looking back. I just thought it'd be interesting to look back at, at all the national champions over the past 10, 15 years and just kind of look at their signing classes as far as their ranks go. Because I I had heard uh, I think I'm, I'm sure many organizations have done this they've looked back at champions and, and looked at signing classes but I've I've heard something like every single national champion in the last 20 years except for maybe like one was like had like a top 10 class either one or two years in there and I think maybe OU in in 2000 was like one of the exceptions that didn't have a top 10 class so I, I went back to rivals and. I went back to 2002. That's as far as I could see it go back as far as their class rankings. And since 2002, only one national champion had a recruiting class outside of the top 10 in the year that they won it all. And that team was Texas in 2005. Believe it or not, Texas's recruiting class in 05 was the 20th ranked recruiting class, which is incredibly low. But every other team since 2002 that's won a national title has had a top 10 ranked class in that year that they won a title. So I found that to be interesting considering that now Oklahoma in 2017 had a top 10 class and now in 2018 Oklahoma has a top 10 class as well. So the Sooners certainly vying for another national championship in 2018. So that's always good news, Grant. Yeah, Lee, and I'll, I'm just going to clarify the, the whatever the, the stat where it is. It is. It's uh, OU, 2000 OU is the only exception to the rule and the rule is is kind of like the blue chip ratio it's um or it, it's part of the rule the a rule I'm, I'm saying this in in, in in scare quotes um it's the blue chip ratio over 50 percent of your recruits have to be four or five star recruits OU with this signing class actually does go ab- above the blue chip ratio they were not above it uh for this past season um but they are now and uh it's also you uh, the only national champion uh, in the last 20 years that has not had back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes is 2000 OU. That is it. Every everyone else had back-to-back um, had back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes um, leading up to when they won the national championship. Uh, well, not Texas. Yeah, they. Um, that's that's going just off of rivals, though. I think this is. Uh, they're they're talking like consensus amongst everybody, oh. so it's 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 possible that you know because I'm seeing here, yeah, Texas was was tenth and and fifteenth in recruiting before they won the national title, but you know ESPN two years before could have had them as like you know sixth in the country or something. Um, so it, it, it's that, um, but yeah, that actually does kind of surprise me about 2005 Texas. That was a that was a national championship team that had a lot of NFL players on it. So interesting to see that they weren't uh you know as highly ranked as the others yeah i mean according to rivals the 2005 texas team their 05 class were was ranked 20th and you know a lot of that's a lot of freshmen and, and so a lot of those players maybe didn't play but the year before in 2004 
their their class was 10th, so a top 10 class. But in 2003, Texas's class was 15th. So a lot of the, I guess, juniors on that 05 team came from a a 15th ranked recruiting class. I mean, and I mean, you could make the argument, oh well, I mean, these are just rankings. It's it's subjective, but I mean, for the most part, though, a lot of these rankings they they turn out to make a lot of sense considering that all these teams have top 10 top five classes and they're winning national titles so and and also yeah. also this just this just occurred to me that you know in, in those years you know previous to texas winning the national title when they were 10th and 15th in recruiting that was also when texas was going straight up you know against oklahoma during the height of the bob stoops era um and ou was signing the rep omars and the adrian petersons of the world so it, it would and you know obviously texas is is directly competing with ou for recruits in texas so so you know that's probably why Texas's you know recruiting classes were a little uh, were a little behind because I'm sure OU's were just that good. Grant, let's do some way too early offensive starters projecting. Can't wait, and it's a good thing I don't have to wait because it's literally right now. I love this. I'm so excited that you had this idea. So now that the class of 2018 is set, we thought it'd be fun to do this uh, way too early projection thing, and we're going to go with the Sooners' offense today. Next week, we'll do the defense. And so our baseline for this exercise will be Oklahoma's starting lineup from the Rose Bowl. And out of the 11 starters on offense in that game, five of them will be missing in 2018. Those five, Baker Mayfield, Dimitri Flowers, Orlando Brown, Eric Wren, and Mark Andrews. So in theory, we have five spots to fill unless one of us thinks that somebody else will rise up and take somebody else's starting spot. And that's where the fun can be in this exercise so let's start with the offensive line first and this is this is the unit that has the most question marks so let's let's get to right away obviously Orlando Brown is gone the left tackle he's he had been there for three years it's wide open Grant who starts at left tackle for OU I think it's going to be Bobby Evans Lee um I from what we've gathered so far I don't I don't know if the the position switch has been made but it just makes so much sense for it not to happen uh, that I, I just I I would be shocked if they don't move Bobby Evans over to the left side. I think it'll be Bobby Evans as well. I think that's kind of the 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 general consensus now that we assume that Evans will move over from right tackle to left tackle. He's a player that will he will depending on how he ends up playing, he'll be certainly talked about as maybe a first round draft pick whenever he decides to come out. Of course, that depends on how he plays. But I know he's a player that has that potential. And I, I agree. I mean, as of right now, again, we always have to qualify this because we have very limited information. But I think the best odds as of February of 2018, Bobby Evans moving over from right tackle to left tackle. I'm with you on that. It just it just makes sense. I mean, he's a he's he's the best pass blocker on the team. Um, moving over to the left ta- moving over to left tackle would be would be better for his professional career. I it just it just makes all the sense in the world. He's he's the team's best offensive lineman. Move him to the left side and protect, you know, Kyler's blind spot. All right, moving over to left guard. And left guard is a spot that is not gone from the Rose Bowl and that's Ben Powers. So Grant I guess you went first. I asked you first, who do I think will start at left guard? And I, as of now, I will say Ben Powers sticks right back into left guard. And it's one of those things where he was he was really good this year. And with a new left tackle in Bobby Evans, I think it makes sense as of now to continue to have the person to Evans' right to be somebody who's been there now for an entire year and has experience like Ben Powers. So I like the idea of Powers being there next to Bobby Evans and not to mention, again, that he has experience at that position. So I'm going to go with Ben Powers sticking in at left guard. Absolutely, Ben Powers. Uh, ben Powers is a really, really good player. He's a, you know, barring injury, I think he's, he's a 10-year NFL veteran too. He's that good. So, um, yeah, just, just stick in Ben Powers and let him maul. Moving over now to center. And center is a spot where Eric Wren was, and now Eric Wren is gone. So an open spot at center. And uh, I will ask you, Grant, who's going to be the starting center? Well, Lee, all of the talk and all of the the mumblings over the course of the season and also uh, in the summer leading up to the season, uh, just lots of good things. We heard about true freshman Creed Humphrey. Uh, and apparently none of, you know, apparently all of those expectations, none of them have, have, have been dampened at all. And I 
fully expect Creed Humphrey to take over as a starting center next year. He's a guy that the Sooners were really struggling, you know, to decide whether or not they were going to redshirt him. They they ended up deciding to do so. Probably a pretty smart choice to, uh, you know, uh, to have the eligibility left over. So I, I expect it to be Creed Humphrey, although I, I fully expect Jonathan Alvarez to be given a shot to win the job. He did redshirt in 2017, so he will be back next year, uh, which I'm sure is a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, but I, I expect Creed Humphrey to start. I expect Jonathan Alvarez to back him up, although Alvarez will probably be given a shot to win the job. All right, I'm going to go with Alvarez. I Right now, again, with a whole, not a whole lot of information, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the veterans on the roster. And Alvarez is a player that's already seen time. He's played a lot before redshirting, and he's also already seen some time at center at the collegiate level. So I'm going to go with Alvarez, although it makes sense why you'd go with Creed Humphrey because of all the talk you've uh, that we've heard. I mean, a four-star player, um, now a redshirt season under his belt. I've heard that he's a pretty cerebral, smart kid. He was the number one center at a high school, too, in the country. So, I mean, I think... And I'll say, I mean, Jonathan Alvarez, number third. The, the oh, number was he third? third? Was he third? According to uh, Oklahoma's website, okay, it says that uh, he was touted as the third best oh, center okay, by okay. two four seven sports. Um, okay, well that's you know that's twenty four seven, so that's it's just that's one. Um, and he was the fourth best by rivals. Okay, thank you for that. Um, anywho, um, I, I just I don't think Jonathan Alvarez is that good. Uh, he just, and so I I, I think he's. I think he's a really solid backup to a guy who I just I I can only assume is just a lot a much more talented player. I mean, Jonathan Alvarez they couldn't get on the field this year. That's why he redshirted. Um, that's I, I think that's just how much he got passed up by people already on the roster, and so he just kind of has a natural you know landing spot here at center just because that's that's what he played. Jonathan Alvarez Lee was the was the starting center in that Orange Bowl against Clemson and Baker Mayfield's first college football playoff. So I mean, obviously I I think. He, he's a valuable guy to have. Um, I just, I just don't think he's that good. And so I, I it's, I, I have a really hard time believing that he's going to take that job away from Creed Humphrey. Okay. Well, I guess we, uh, you know, got a little bit of time to figure out to see how, how true that is. I guess it's one of those things where both players redshirted last year. So we'll see if, uh, the time away from football has, uh, invigorated either one of them. Obviously Alvarez has more experience. He kind of knows more about what college level is like, but he, and like you said, I mean, talent could win out, and if if Humphrey's just more talented, that that may very well be the case. To the next spot on the offensive line, how about right guard? And now we both, you know, both of us mentioned. Uh, let me find. Uh, okay, Ben Powers is still. Yeah, he played left guard. Okay, so right guard, Drew Samia started at right guard for OU in that Rose Bowl. So Grant. I guess uh, you went first before, so I'll go first here. Who do I think will start at right guard? I will say that the right guard in 2018, as of now, I'm going to say Cody Ford. And the reason why I don't have Samia there, I guess I'll just spoil my next one. I think Samia will move over and play right tackle. So I think Samia, with all his experience, I could see him getting moved to right tackle. He's big, got long arms, move there. And Cody Ford, a guy who was kind of the odd man out this year in the offensive line, still played a lot, but kind of filled in here and there. Tons of experience. I can see Ford being slotted into the right guard spot. So I'm going to go with Cody Ford there. Who do you have playing right guard in 2018? I have Samia again just because we're so early that um, I just think that's just the safest pick for right now. Um, if they don't move him over to right tackle, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if 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 Ford just straight up beats him for the job. It wouldn't surprise me. Samia was, was clearly the team's worst offensive lineman last season. So not that he's a bad player. Well, he's not. He's, he's, he started three years at OU, and he's going to be a fourth-year starter in the offensive line. So I think that's that's a big deal. Um, yeah, Lee, I, I'm not sure. I, I think the I think the logical thing to do would be to move him to right, to, to right tackle. Um, I, I don't know. I, I It seems that they feel like he's a better fit at right guard, and you know if, if that's the case, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Cody Ford overtakes him. Um, so you said that you have Samia starting at right tackle, Lee? Yes. Although I will say that these two players, now that I'm looking more into it, they I, they could just flip it. I mean, I could see Samia staying at guard and Ford then being the right tackle. Because looking at, I mean, I know this is Ford's very... Ford's not going to play right tackle. No way. Not in a million years. He's way too big. He's too big. Well, that's why I like him at, at tackle. Oh, he's like he, big. Well, he's a, he, he's a road grader. He's a run blocker. You don't, he'll, he'll, he'd get absolutely whipped by, by edge rushers playing tackle. That, that's... 
he'd be totally out of position playing tackle. Well, that's where I mean that's all where Ford's played. He's only played guard. So yeah, I mean tackle would be different. I mean that'd be so, a new one for him. Yeah. So I I, I do want to. There's a lot of big fat. Not that not that Cody Ford's fat, but there's a lot of big massive. I mean tackles in the NFL. I yeah, mean, I mean, but your 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 prototypical tackle is going to be is, is going to be a little leaner, long arms. Uh, he's you know just frankly not as big as a guard, not as big as someone like Cody Ford. Cody Ford is a mammoth human. Uh, he's he he's perfect on the interior of the offensive line. Uh, just to actually you know talking about right tackle might as well so I, I i didn't have samia as a starter at right tackle so i just want to break down you know who who that actually might be because i'm going to be honest with you i actually don't know because uh, assuming that drew samia stays at guard it's going to be a, a completely open competition which i assume would be between adrian ely uh eric swenson and quinn mittermeyer um and, and i suppose i would have to i i, I really don't know i uh, we've we've heard a lot of good things about adrian ely and his redshirt year about how he's he's a really talented guy is doing really well. Eric Swenson the same. Uh, Quinn Mittermeyer was a, was a guy who I think he was originally a, a Florida commit, and he, he transferred the, to OU a couple years ago. He's a really highly sought after recruit. He's a guy who hasn't really put on a lot of weight since he's been at OU, so I don't know if he can he can hold up in that regard. So Lee, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Adrian Ely for now. I've just I've heard so many good things about him. I think he might be ready to to step in and play on the offensive line. Ooh, okay. So that's a new one. And so he's. Cool. A, I mean, that's good. That's that's good that one of us had a new name. Yeah, and so he's gonna be a he's gonna be a redshirt freshman. He was he was a member of the 2017 class, and uh, I've you know seen things from from Orlando Brown and whatnot saying that he you know, Orlando Brown kind of took him under his wing and that he's he's kind of a stud. So you know we'll 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 see. He's he's got a cool name. He's he's got a name of someone who would be like a a good NFL player. Am I right? Am I wrong? <laughs> of course I'm right. Of course I'm right. I I don't. I mean I I don't know about that, but. Uh... I mean, I guess if you say so. I mean, it's a it's a super you know weird thing I just said, but it's. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm probably right. Let's let's be honest. Uh, okay. Well, we had some differences in the offensive line, so uh, we'll have to mark this down to to revisit it later on. So, okay, there's five positions. We have six positions left, and granted, the, the next six are a little little easier, and there's not as many open spots. So, uh, the Sooners listed two starting wide receivers for the Rose Bowl: Grant, C.D. Lamb, Marquise Brown. Do you envision those guys not starting to open up 2018? I do not envision that, Lee. They will, they will certainly be the two starters, the two main receivers on this team. Um, I know they only they only started two in the in the Rose Bowl. Well, that's no fun though. So I, Lee, I decided to just I decided to put kind of like a, do depth chart style. I just wanted to list who I think the just the top five receivers are going to be on the depth chart. Um, and so we'll, we'll start with those top the top two guys, the top CD in Hollywood. And then after that, Lee, I have Michael Jones as as the third receiver on the team. After that, I have uh, I have redshirt freshman Charleston Rambo as the fourth receiver on this team. Um, and then A.D. Miller, who redshirted this year, he'll be a senior. I think he'll he'll probably contribute next year because surprisingly, you know, with with Nick Basquin going down now with another Achilles injury, this is a receiver group that's actually not all that deep. Um, I, I think, I think I, Lincoln Riley did say that Baskin was going to be ready for fall camp, but I can't, I, I can't envision him being a factor at all the upcoming season. Two back-to-back uh, Achilles injuries. There's, there's, I, I just no way. So uh, if, if if you want to extend that to a sixth person, I would say Lee Morris is is more likely to to, to make an impact than Baskin or any of the three freshman receivers. All right, well, I did not make a top five or top six, so I'm glad you did. So we'll just go with your picks there and uh, kind of just knive on with things. All right, running back. Uh, I mean, Rodney Anderson started the Rose Bowl. I, he's going to start opening day for OU, the, barring something crazy happening. So no, no need to go over running back. Uh, tight end, uh, another, another one. I mean, we got Mark Andrews gone, but I think it's pretty obviously going to be Grant Calcaterra. Grant, I mean, that's what I'm going with. Do you envision somebody else taking no. Calcaterra's spot? No way. It's him. It's him. I mean, you know, pending injury or, or anything like, or barring injury or anything like that. Yeah, it's, it's Calcaterra. And I, I, I like Calcaterra, man. He's good. He's really good. So I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't think they're going to miss Andrews as much as, as, as people think next year. So uh, let's just we'll we'll get quarterback out of the way. Uh, Kyler Murray's going to start at quarterback, so uh, that's Which, our guy. You know, and I it's I think so too. And I think I think Kyler's going to be great. Uh, but man, I, I think Austin Kendall is really good too. It's 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 too bad they can't you know think of some sort of way to get 
you know, both of those guys some playing time. You know, they might, but I, I, I really think Austin Kendall is going to be is, is going to be a really good college player. I just don't think it's going to be at OU, unfortunately. So that leaves us with one position left to predict the starter, and that is fullback and potentially outside of Baker Mayfield, the toughest loss for Oklahoma's offense in, in 2018, Dimitri Flowers being gone. And obviously Orlando Brown's a huge loss too at left tackle, but yeah. man, Flowers was the Flowers, Swiss Army knife. Flowers is a bigger loss than Brown, I think, any day of the week. He just he, he was so good. I mean, we both think he's going to, depending on, again, it, it's always a qualifier with NFL. Like, depending on where he goes, he could be a pretty darn good pro. Uh, who will slip in that spot? Because you would expect that kind of position to still be alive and well with under Lincoln Riley's offense. It's just, it's hard to imagine it just kind of going away because they don't have flowers anymore. I know uh, what Braden Willis, the new guy they signed is kind of an idea. Maybe he could be a H back kind of player, uh, but a you know, true freshman who knows if he's even going to play he might redshirt things like that. So it's like I, for this one, I, I didn't, I don't know. I, I'll, I think, be, I'll be honest, I didn't really do enough research to kind of find somebody on their roster that stands out. So I'm going to kind of punt on this one. I have no idea who could be the next well, Dimitri Flowers. Well, I, at least well, thank God I was prepared for this one, Lee. So here we go. So as of as of today, February 14th, um, I, it, it's, it's between three guys. It's going to be between three guys, you know, barring any sort of unforeseen circumstances as the season progresses or as the season comes up. Uh, it's going to be between uh, Carson Meyer, who is on campus right now. He is, I believe, going to be a redshirt senior in this upcoming season. It will uh, second in line in this is going to be redshirt freshman Jeremiah Hall. He was a member of the 2017 class. I, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned with Jeremiah Hall just because I haven't heard anything about him. I, I haven't heard anything good or bad about him. Um, and then they also went out and got Braden Willis, who is part of this 2018 class, and they got him so late in the recruiting cycle. It, it really makes me think that they don't think Jeremiah Hall is progressing that well. Um, so I. If, if I got to call my shot right now, I think it's going to be Carson Meyer, probably. Um, but we'll see. I, I guess I it's we're going to know a lot more about this, I think, in the spring. Uh, it's all going to depend on how Jeremiah Hall looks, how his body looks, how he's progressed, and then you know whether or not Braden Willis, when he comes in in the fall, because he's not, he's not there in the spring. So I think you can pretty much cross him off the list right now because I, I doubt he's going to be able to you know get ready for that position with you know four weeks of practice before the first game. So... It, it is really going to come down to Jeremiah Hall and how he's progressed. We'll see that during the spring. But right now, Lee, I, I think we have to say it's going to be Carson Meyer. All right. Wasn't uh, wasn't there some rumblings that Ricky DeBerry was going to switch positions and then maybe play that? But now but now he's transferring. Yes, anyways, he did. So. He, he, he did switch to that position during the season. And then um, he's actually he's he, I think he's going to stay on for this semester and finish school, and then he's going to be a grad transfer in the in the summer. So, um, too bad with Ricky DeBerry. That's it's too bad that didn't that didn't quite work out. He was a he was a big time recruit a few years ago when he first came on, and it's it's too bad that he's he's leaving. Okay, well, those are our way too early predictions for the starting OU offense. Uh, we'll have to revisit that around spring ball time next week. We will do our way too early defensive starters projections that one will be way more interesting i think we're probably going to get a lot of variance on that one yeah i yeah that's going to be uh whew. yeah we'll see about that one uh before we talk a little ou basketball i want to remind you that west of everest is available on itunes and soundcloud thanks to you all who've been listening to the show even though the football season is over and we navigate this off season all together we appreciate your interests and uh your continued listening uh and plays of the show if you've got a moment, please leave us a rating and or review on iTunes. Those really help us with the iTunes rankings. And as usual, if you've got a question, leave a comment on the West of Everest Facebook page or you can email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Some quick OU basketball talk, Grant. Sooners now ranked number 23 in the nation, 16-8 and eight overall. Sooners are 6-6 six and six in Big 12 play. Uh, they've lost six of the last eight games. They've lost six straight road games. And as we are recording this podcast, they are about to play Texas Tech in Lubbock Tuesday night at six o'clock. That's where we stand. Uh, just a couple more notes to, to kind of chew over that uh, early selection committee 
sneak preview came out on Sunday, which apparently it was the second year they've done this. They did it last year. I only remember that. To me, it comes off as like a college football playoff rankings kind of thing. They're trying to get some uh, some love for March Madness. But the selection committee had Oklahoma as a four seed still, which uh, was very surprising to a lot of people. So, Grant, what is uh, I honestly don't have any sort of questions because I feel like we've it's not like a broken record because the question is, oh, this team's not playing well. What's what's going on? And, and it's kind of been the same thing over and over and over again. Defense isn't good. But now the last week or two with the offense doesn't look very good either. Um, what do you want to touch on mainly when it comes to OU basketball? I mean, it's pretty simple. It's uh, everyone around Trey Young is really struggling from the outside. They can't shoot. Uh, they've really struggled to create shots, especially when uh, when other teams have really, really decided to to clamp down on Trey Young. And I mean, that was West Virginia's game plan. They decided they were going to let him get his, and they weren't going to allow him to be a distributor. And if if, if there's teams that can, um, you know, that that can mirror that game plan against OU that West Virginia had, OU is going to be in a lot of trouble going forward unless unless guys like Brady Manick and Christian James and Cameron McGusty, who I think. I don't even know if he scored a point since he hit that game winner at TCU almost two months ago, um, but it's it's uh, it's simple. They they outside of Trey Young, they can't really score the basketball, and they 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 do not have any semblance of defense uh, to get them through a you know a rough offensive stretch. And and until that changes, or until one of those things changes, they're going to continue to lose playing Texas Tech tonight on the road. And I, I don't. I mean, I I think any sort of rational college basketball fan should expect them to lose tonight, right? Yeah, and and that's especially considering that Oklahoma already beat Tech uh, in Norman by ten points back in January. Easily the Oklahoma's best defensive game of the year. Only held uh, held Tech to sixty five points. And uh, I mean, it was like, oh, I, I know we've mentioned this before on this podcast. Like, oh man, that's the game where Oklahoma. Hey, look, they can play defense. But then ever since then, the defense has been back to being pretty much bad uh it, it it didn't look too horrible against texas and west virginia honestly held those those teams to below 80 points but then the offense didn't show up and then back to uh giving up a lot of points to iowa state on the road the worst team in the big 12 which uh asterisk next to that statement because uh even the worst team in the big 12 is still a quality opponent especially iowa state playing at home it's uh i guess here's, here's a question for you grant this is kind of an overarching question and, and one of my co-workers brought this up the other day and i think he might have a point to be honest with you now that we're almost through the entire college basketball regular season remember uh, leading up you know, a lot of this this uh this season we've talked about how the big 12 is so good and the big 12 is just top to bottom the best conference of college basketball well considering that n- none of their teams in the big 12 kansas even tech uh west virginia ou that none of nobody can really separate themselves are we maybe wrong about the big 12 and really it's kind of just like an okay conference where everyone just kind of is not really as good as we think they are and they just kind of beat up on each other um uh, yes and no i think i i i I, no i mean i I think the conference is great it's a great conference lee there's there's not a single bad team in the conference iowa state right now would be one of the best teams in the in the big 10 and i'm dead serious they would be so it's it's a great it's it's a great conference does that mean that it has a bunch of top 10 teams no i think it has a bunch of like top 35 to top 40 teams and that's i mean those are out of like 380 college basketball teams that's pretty darn impressive uh for a league and and really it's just when you when you have when you got nine you know eight or nine teams in a conference that are in the top 40 in the country that means you got to bring it every single night and you know in college basketball it's really hard to go on the road and it's it's really hard to go on the road especially when you're playing you know the worst team the 10th place team in your conference like Iowa State and really they're probably Iowa State is probably one of the 50 best teams in the entire country so that's I mean, that's tough and i you know and and I agree that I I don't think the best teams are in the are in the Big Twelve. I just think the Big Twelve has a, has a lot of really good teams, and they play each other twice, and so it's 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 a grind. It's it, it's a really it's it, it's a great schedule if you want to build an NCAA resume, which is why I don't I don't think you're going to see the Big Twelve making any changes to their basketball schedule at all in the upcoming years. It's it's kind of perfect the way it is um, to get to to really just kind of to game that that NCAA seed and that's why that's why the Sooners are the four seed in that original thing it's because they've they've played probably one of the five toughest schedules in the country and you know like we've already said they they still have you know the most good wins in the country still out of anybody so that's 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 obviously going to be a resume booster 
Oklahoma with six games remaining, and this is, uh, again, before this Tech game on Tuesday night. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, Oklahoma will only have five games remaining, and uh, it'd be nice if we were talking about uh, Oklahoma with five remaining games just coming off of a nice road win over Texas Tech. That would be huge. That Oklahoma, yeah, but, but considering Oklahoma has lost six games in a row on the road, now they're going to play a top-ten team on the road. It's just it's incredibly difficult to imagine Oklahoma winning winning this game against Tech. Uh, just But at the same time, some positive thoughts. And uh, we went out to um, practice on Sunday. My coworker Brian, Brian Mueller at News 9, went out to OU practice on Sunday. So the day after the, the loss to Iowa State, and a vibe, a, a theme of Trey Young's media availability was like, hey, I need to start enjoying this more, smiling more, having more fun. And I know that kind of sounds probably generic that, oh, they're college kids, they're probably always having fun. But I, I've got this sense, and, and this isn't just me, I've, I've, I've heard this from other guys I work with, like you watch Trey Young in the past two, three weeks, and it, it doesn't look like he's had a whole lot of fun out there like he had in the first part of the year, which I suppose is not surprising considering Oklahoma's lost six of their last eight games. You know, he's not going to have fun losing. But um, it, it, it's not, you get the sense that this season is really starting to kind of kind of drain him of his energy a little bit. And it was nice to hear him talking about how, you know what, hey, I got to get back at the, get back to having fun as a team as well. They got to have more fun. And from my perspective, this team – Lon Kruger just I don't, I don't know if he's changed the way that they've utilized Trey Young in the last three weeks it certainly looks like they have as far as trying to rein him in and and get him to kind of play more within the offense but at, at this point as far as I'm concerned they should just kind of unleash Trey Young to tell him to hey just go back to what you were doing before if you turn the ball over 10 times in a game you know so be it just kind of go have fun take a lot of shots like you're how we're going to be able to you are how we're going to be able to win games if you're at Oklahoma so just kind of let him do it and then hope that that translates into success in March that's kind of what I kind of think and hope needs to happen moving forward yeah I I mean sure I'm I don't know if I disagree with that but I I I just think the guys around him just need to play better they need to play like they did in December uh they're capable of it you know I we've Christian James, we've we've seen him play well. I think Christian James has probably been the second best player on this team in the last three weeks. Uh, Brady Manick needs to learn how to shoot on the road. I mean, did, were you, were you watching the game at all on on Saturday Lee, when they were talking about his home road splits in terms of three point shooting? He shoots sixty five percent from three at home and like twenty percent on the road. That's who's this Chris, Christian James? No, that's Brady Manick. Oh, Man- Manick, yeah, Manick. Uh, that's insane. I the last I looked because we we did a thing on News Nine about that uh, before I think it might have been before the West Virginia game and before that game it was like yeah at, at home it was like sixty five percent at home and uh, it was it was still like thirty six percent on the road so like higher than you would expect on the road unless our numbers were off which yeah, everyone makes mistakes but uh, is that what the stats were it was that ESPN showed yeah it was like twenty percent on the road. Um, my goodness. Yeah, sixty-five percent at home, though. I mean, that's which is insane. Obviously. I think we were basing it off of just Big Twelve play. Was that the whole season? They the were whole season. Of? Whole season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were basing it off of just Big Twelve play, but uh, man, that's either way you look at it, it's it's not ideal. I mean, you can't you can't have that big swing. You got to be a lot more consistent than that, especially um, just for a shooter. I mean, like, yeah, I get that you're not at home anymore, but I mean the rim, the hoop, everything, it's, it's the same distance, man. And I just, I, I, this, I'll, I'll end with this, um, just to give you a, just to kind of frame the offensive struggles of the last three weeks. The, the second best offensive play, I, I said Christian James a while back ago, but I now realize that was, that was an incorrect statement. The second best offensive player on this team the last three, last three weeks, Lee, has been Richard Odoms. And I think for a team that has, you know, has, has deep, you know, March NCAA tournament run aspirations. You don't want Richard Odoms being your second best scorer. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Uh, finally, this, uh, this again, by the time you listen to this, it'll already be over, but just for fun, I mean, Oklahoma is a seven point dog on the road. I mean, is it, does it make any sense to take Oklahoma plus the points in this one? If you were, let's say you were, uh, you know, you're in Las Vegas and you're trying to have some fun to to make the OU game even more interesting, Grant, would would you would you even think about taking, even though it's, I mean, seven points is a decent amount of points, yeah, especially when you have I'd Trey take, Young. I'll take that. 
that's oh it, you like that yeah okay. the game th- this game is going to follow the the script of all of their games the last three weeks they're probably going to get down by double digits halfway through the first half they'll claw their way back and they'll be down by like five or six at halftime they'll tie it or take the lead about halfway through the second half and then down the stretch they will falter and they will lose by six to ten points I, that's that's basically what has happened to them the last three weeks so I, I, I just assume it's going to happen again. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I would take that seven and a half point spread. Just seven. Is it yeah, seven? Yeah, uh, it's just, just, and you know what? That's your case for it. And the other case would be just straight math as far, you know, all year Oklahoma has been, technically Oklahoma has probably been a little overrated all year, and they've been favored a lot of the games. And against the spread, they haven't done particularly well. But now for the first time in a long time, you're actually getting them as underdogs, which they've been favorites a lot of the time. I mean, they even on the road, they've been favorited when they've been struggling. So it's like now, and it's a game where Oklahoma, you know, is going to feel like they needed a lot more than Tech needs it. Even though, I mean, every game of the Big 12, it seems like it, a team needs, especially if Tech's trying to win the entire conference. So yeah, I mean, there probably is a little bit of value on OU getting seven points on the road. Yeah, for sure. And also just to, to show you again how... Uh, how important defense is. Texas Tech's a top ten team in the country. They've had a great season. They're, I mean, they're they're in contention for a number one seed right now. They've had that good of a year. Um, they're they're the worst offensive team in the Big Twelve, Lee, but the best defensive team in the Big Twelve. So, yeah, I mean, they're a top top five, at minimum top ten scoring defense team. Yeah, and that's playing in the Big Twelve, which is incredibly impressive. Yeah, so I mean, that's just I, I'm I mean, defense is is just it's it's important in, in every sport, obviously. So I, I I used to be one of those meathead guys who thought, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, basketball just score points. I mean, and then I then I started watching this this OU team closely, and they just that's got to play better defense. It's there's just no excuse for it. I agree. All right, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week with our way-too-early projected starters for the Oklahoma defense, and hopefully we'll have some more positive things to say about the Sooners basketball team as opposed to all the negative stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks as we inch closer and closer to March and March Madness. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.